From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains Live. If you're a conservative, censorship from big tech is no new kind of story. In fact, it's only getting worse. So what do we do about it? On this episode of Heritage Explains Live, I sit down with our research fellow for tech policy, Kara Frederick, to discuss a path forward and proactive ways we can push back against big tech. It's a very compelling conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Now, if you want to see Kara bring it live on video, we'll link to that in the show notes. Otherwise, enjoy the conversation. Roll it, John Pop. The Heritage Foundation is going on offense because we're all tired of playing the game big tech companies play. We do these live broadcasts and podcasts and we have working groups. We talk about how bad it is, but now let's take action steps. I'm sitting here with our good friend, Kara Frederick. Uh, She's a research fellow in tech policy here at the Heritage Foundation. She's back on Explains Live. I'm back. I'm here. Baby. Yes. (laughs) Um, And uh, she's going to give us some insight as to why now is the time for aggressive reforms so we can take action steps toward holding big tech accountable. Again, Kara, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. No place else I'd rather be. It's so good. And I know you've been running around like, as my mom said, like a chicken with her head cut off. Literally, I'm out of breath. I'm trying to catch it as we speak. (laughs) She kind of ran down here into the room. She's like, all right, let's go. (laughs) So that's what we're doing. And folks, I wanted to to do a shout out to you as well. We know there are several people watching, many who agree, many who may disagree, many who have questions, all that stuff. We want to hear it all. We want to hear it all. So please, if you're watching somewhere, drop it in the chat. Questions, respond. If you don't understand a term we're talking about, we'll define it. We'd love to hear those. So Kara, I just wanted to get into it here with you. A lot lot to cover today. In short, when we talk about big tech in your paper that's out now, who are we talking about? Yeah, so many variations of big tech have been used, especially this was popularized in, you know, national elite prestige media uh, before, you know, as the tech industry, I never heard the word big tech when I was working at Facebook at all, but it was sort of popularized as a a colloquialism. So you hear about the big five tech companies, and these are Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, now Meta and Alphabet, respectively. So those are the big five tech companies. But then big tech has been made to basically encompass those that shape actively the public square and the public discourse. So like Twitter, like TikTok, these would be under the definition of big tech in our paper. Okay. Now, um, we've talked about this in the past when when you've been here before. But as we continue down this road, it kind of, to me, it seems like every day we're seeing more and more content moderation happen, Um, you know, from big tech. You know, last year when we spoke, it was, you know, in large part toward conservative voices. You you did a great job of of capturing that. Now, since then, have have big tech companies balanced out their uh, moderation? 
Or, you know, are they still giving terrorists a platform and not the president, <laughs> former oh, president no. of the United States? You well, know? well, you know, you that's know. the dream, that they would have balanced out their content moderation practices. Yeah. A lot of times they hide those behaviors of content moderation in a black box, too. They're not mm. expressly transparent about who they censor and who they don't. But mm. we, luckily, can see with our own eyes what's been happening. Mm. And I think, you know, from 2016 on, there's been a real uptick in an inordinate application of their content moderation moderation policies, their terms of service, their community standards. Yeah. And most of those encompass, as you know, um, look at Amazon. They they pulled down a documentary on Clarence Thomas. Uh, we talked about this before, but our own Mike Gonzalez, uh, they pulled Amazon ads from his book that compared BLM and Marxism. Hmm. So this, uh, the, the uptick has, I think, continued apace from 2016 onward. Yeah. They're, they're emboldened, really, because nobody's taken action against these, I mean, you have concerns conservatives who are up in arms about it were yeah. mad. There's an energy in the base. People feel helpless and frustrated, yeah. but there, nothing has actually been done to address this inordinate application of their terms of service, their community standards. And so, yeah, we, we've got to do something about it, but it's absolutely happening. It's systematic and uh, conservatives need to, to actually realize it if they don't, if they haven't been touched by it themselves. And you talk about terms of service and we're going to get into that. But folks, I want to also remind you too, we're taking your questions. So if you've got them, uh, any Anything that you want to say, put it in the chat. We'll get it up there, and we'll make sure to engage on it. Kara is ready to go. She is Always. ready, <laughs> fired uh, on all cylinders. Now, you talk about demanding more transparency. You talk about the terms of service, things like that. Um, it seems like when companies have the upper hand, especially with, you know, they're, you know, they're going to profit off of the data that they get from us. Um, what All that we volunteer, they take that, and then they do ads and things like that. Um, it seems like that there's a kind of an upper hand there and they're able to, I don't get away with a lot more. And I think transparency is the word that I'd like to use. So what does making big tech more transparent look like? And you did cover this in the paper, so I want to give you a chance to, to explain that. Yeah, so we have yeah. three variations of this in the paper. So yeah. transparency is not just like, tell us everything that you're doing. It needs to be neck down to specific categories. Okay. And how we categorize transparency in this paper, we talk about content moderation practices and behavior. We talk about algorithmic transparency. And this is often in the context of impact assessment. So okay. when tech companies voluntarily, out of the goodness of their hearts, give you quarterly transparency transparency reports. They do this for some versions of content moderation, some versions of law enforcement response requests. They're giving the American public what they want the American public to see. These reports, there's fancy charts and graphs and colors, but they're not necessarily as granular as we would like them. So hmm. the third portion of our transparency agenda is basically for how your data is stored, collected, shared, and used. Yeah. So, you know, there needs to be legitimate terms of a true and lending effectively. So how is our data, who gets to, to use it, who gets to profit off it? It's often shared with third party. That's how they make their money. They target ads um, to you know specific digital behaviors and it's whatnot. It's no coincidence so, when you're talking about buying I don't know, uh, uh, deodorant, then I'm going to look at my Amazon app and there's going to be an ad for deodorant. Yep, it's yep. Li yeah. This is their business model. Course, it's absolutely. ad tech. And, yes. and that's how they and make a lot of their profit. That's called ad tech. Yep. So that's why a lot of these new up-and-comers like Rumble, um, like different uh, platforms, um, not necessarily Getter yet, but yeah. uh, RightForge uh, offers full-stack or cloud hosting services, infrastructure and whatnot. But some of these competitors, they understand that there's an influencer model, there's a subscription-based model, that's different than ad tech. 
product that doesn't necessarily profit off you as the user, consider itself a free service, but they're really taking more and more and more data and giving you less and less in return. Joel Thayer actually coined that in a Newsweek article, and I think mm -hmm. that's critical to understanding the consumer welfare standard and how this applies to um, ad-based services. So mm -hmm. very, very important for those distinctions to be made. But when it comes to transparency, you got to have multi-pronged approaches, you got to have teeth, and you got to have a public availability component, or else the public's only seeing what these companies deign to serve them. Yeah. And you know, if we can't assess the impact those algorithms have on uh, human beings, on the citizenry and whatnot, that's problematic. And then it comes to, to a head when the Wall Street Journal has the trove of leaked documents right. from the Facebook whistleblower. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and we yep. find out, okay, in 2018, they tweaked the algorithm. This, based off of Facebook's internal research, this is what happened. And then, you know, we get the data from there. If it weren't for what uh, Francis Haugen released, we would have no idea. So let's have the companies actually have their impact assessments when they tweak their algorithms. What impacts do these algorithms have on humanity, on, you know, the souls of little girls, which matters, I think, to a huge effect. Let's stick, let's, I want to, I want to stick with an, an, an absolutely 100% on, we're gonna get into that. I wanna stick with more instances. We had a question on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Wanting more instances, wanting more examples of big tech censorship. Oh. Because, because really this is helping draw the battle lines. This is helping us make the case. Yeah. And I think that you have done an incredible job of, of, of documenting that. So if you could just give us a couple more standouts of, course. of what that actually looks like. For sure. So yeah. what we did, and we took great pains in the paper to really enumerate a lot of these more, more current examples of censorship. So for me, the crossing the Rubicon moment happened when Twitter and Facebook actively censored the Hunter Biden laptop story. Hmm. So everybody I'm hoping watching is familiar now with the story now that uh, it's no longer considered Russian disinformation and is allowed to uh, permeate on these platforms. But during election season in 2020, you had Twitter going to the lengths of deactivating this link in personal DMs, direct messages. So you're limiting access to that information. People, Americans, if they wanted to look at the story as broken by the New York Post, what is it, the oldest daily newspaper in America started by Alexander Hamilton, they were not able to access that story at the time hmm. during when the election was in full swing it had information that was unfavorable to the Biden family and Twitter and Facebook took it upon themselves to to limit access to that information so yep. that's a huge instance of censorship that for me triggered okay this has very interesting political implications yeah. and what's interesting is now there's a studies out McLaughlin and Associates did a study and they found that 52% of Americans thought social media company's direct censorship of that report constituted election interference. Sure. So you want to talk about interfering with the brains of people who go inside and try to pull that lever on election day? Tech companies had a huge role in that, there's, and it's time we recognized it. There's no question the influence that it, it, it absolutely has. And, and, and as we continue to talk more about this groundbreaking paper that Heritage has released that you put so much into here, I wanted to get into a few of the more um, controversial aspects, potentially controversial aspects, I wanted to say. You know, one of the big proposals they use is the A word, <laughs> you know, the, the antitrust word, yep. which, you know, those are laws, then they're handled by courts mm -hmm. um, to manage unlawful mergers and business practices. Uh, you know, many people are eager to use this in the conservative movement, and then there's, there's some that are not, and they're hesitant to use it in the conservative movement. So I wanted to say, you know, you know lawmakers, 
uh, including left-wing lawmakers like AOC and Amy Klobuchar, are calling for the use of antitrust as well and, and uh, to deal with big tech. I wanted you to explain more the heritage stance on this and how we differentiate from that. Where are those di uh, differences here? How, how, how are we planning on using it? Great. So yeah. first off, I would say, you know, Congress makes the laws yeah. and federal agencies can enforce them too. Yeah. Um, so so m that distinction should be clarified. Um, I, I think that Congress needs to employ more oversight over this, right? Yeah. So con there needs to be, and along with the federal agencies, an enforcement mechanism to do it. So these laws exist, antitrust laws, they exist for a reason. We should enforce them. So I, you know, right now, and that consumer welfare standard issue, this is how it's interesting. We say in our report that we clarify that the consumer welfare standard applies to zero price markets. And the consumer welfare standard is the standard in which we hold, we we judge antitrust. Whether yep. or not that's the that's what uh, the, uh, Robert Bork came up mm -hmm. with the consumer welfare mm -hmm. standard, conservative mind. Mm -hmm. This is how we should do it. And so we're saying not only codify it but use it and, and, and update how we yeah. think about it okay. exactly. Because yeah. what these companies do is they hide behind the the free ad services market, right? So we're giving you a product. This is free. You don't have to pay for Facebook, you don't have to pay for Google, but you are paying for Facebook, you are paying for Google with your data. And now Americans recognize your data has value. All of the things that you click on, the, the way that your face uh, through facial recognition software is assessed and analyzed, your personally identifiable information as evinced in the digital space, this has value. So we're saying clarify that the consumer welfare standard applies to zero price markets. No more hiding behind this is a free product so we can do whatever we want. Want. And so let's enforce those antitrust okay. laws and with a very conservative-minded consumer welfare standard in mind. I see. So, so where does that differ from um, a Senator Klobuchar or mm -hmm. you know AOC that's, that's yep. calling? You know, how draw that line? For yes. Us if you can. Or an FTC chair, Lena Khan, who's sure. young, an up-and-comer in the space, who's written a lot on this. I would say there is no limiting principle there when they call for the use of antitrust laws, modernizing antitrust laws, reforming them, et cetera, we are very careful to bound this in the paper and say the big tech threat in 2022 is so dire, it is so political and cultural in nature that it must be focused, any reform must be focused specifically on this sector yeah. and not apply broadly to other sectors. We don't want the economy to be remade in Amy Klobuchar's image, in Lena Khan's image. You know, they don't have limiting principles. And the guys on the All In podcast, David Sachs, great at this and he says there's no bright line factor there they're saying yeah let's reform laws so that we can get you know uh, like labor extensions and and politicize this we don't advocate for the politicization of this we want a tightly focused narrow application um, a good example would be uh, when state attorney generals want to be able to take Facebook to court they don't want to have it go to the Ninth Circuit or you know a favorable um, uh, jurisdiction where in North in California where everyone's going to side with Facebook. They want to be able to actually do it in more favorable circumstances. Sure, so sure. that's an example of reforming the laws. I see. You know, so, but uh, Alina Khan and Amy Klobuchar, they, they want to go further. They want to go beyond the tech sector. They want to go beyond looking at these tech companies so and, a, and yeah. using, yeah, yeah, and be okay. able to politicize it. Sure. Um, and we are not saying that. We're saying, here's a situation. It needs to be narrowly focused and applied to this specific yep. situation. 
from Rumble. And again, thanks, folks, thank you so much for joining us on Rumble. It's kind of a new thing for us. We've, we've not been on this before. Uh, the, uh, Heritage Explains has not been on it before. Um, I wanted to, to ask a question here. Just put a, um, in, in response to uh, the antitrust thing. But would that put government in charge of policing speech? No, okay. uh, and that's the, and that's the thing. We don't want right. to get. And I'm. I say this all the time. I said this in front of Congress on December first. You yeah. know, the answer to all of this is not more government involvement in policing speech. And okay. that that is what the left wants, right? Mm. Uh, if you look at the solutions proposed by even the Facebook whistleblower herself, um, there, she's saying let's create another government agency to make sure hate uh, and harm and safety is ensured on these platforms. Mm. But we know that uh, harm and safety, they're just excuses for wanton censorship at this point, especially what we've seen done in the name of COVID misinformation and, and keeping the public safe and whatnot, what's happening right now to Joe Rogan yeah. uh, with Spotify. And, and I think this actually highlights a certain point. We are against the increasing symbiosis between big government, the federal government, even at the state level, which is happening now too, and their symbiosis with uh, tech companies. So there's increasing collusion, uh, Jen Psaki getting up on the White House podium yes. in July, and then again, mo more recently, uh, what was it, a few days ago, so in July, she basically said, okay, here's your list, we are working actively with Facebook to purge specific disinformation purveyors off the platform within a, a month, Facebook took those 12 people off of that platform. That is the government policing speech, hand in glove with tech companies. She gets back on the White House podium and has the audacity to say, Spotify, she named that company specifically, sure. uh, not even an American company, and she said, uh, of course, in reference to Joe Rogan and uh, yeah. his spreading of COVID misinformation by having dissenters on his yeah. platform just to have a conversation, uh, this is the government putting its thumb on the scale and outsourcing censorship to tech companies. Yeah. That is a trend that we've highlighted in the paper and we say should not be allowed to happen. So we have a solution expressly directed at that and that's prohibiting the government for using these tech companies, these private actors, yep. as agents to chill speech. Should not be allowed at all, especially within these actors act in a government capacity. Dar on Facebook is monitoring of, and this is a really, I, I think this is an interesting question because it, it goes to the skepticism that many people have about big tech. Uh, Dar on Facebook says, is monitoring of all communication everywhere, specifically in <laughs> reference to phones and mobile devices, even landlines? What, what, is, what does that look like? I mean, are, is my phone listening to the fact that I just said I wanted to buy a certain product? I mean, is it constantly happening? Tell, it, give us a little bit. And it's you entirely did this possible. Facebook too, so you know this. Uh, it's entirely possible. Um, <laughs> so, so what I say is anytime you have a device on, that's online, that's connected to the internet, you're incurring risk. So there are things where, um, if you look at TikTok, this is a really interesting case, and they'll say it on their website. It takes, you, you don't even have to be intrepid to sort of dig through their terms of service and what they actually do. Right. But TikTok will take your keystroke patterns and rhythms and log them as well. So the way that you type on your phone, if you have TikTok on your desktop, the way that you type, they'll actually be able to log those rhythms and keystroke patterns. And they say that they do it. Microphone access, ac access to your contact list, and the way, um, you know, I'm not sure that TikTok is doing this, but why else would they take recordings of your voice? What do they need to do other mm -hmm. than develop their voice recognition algorithms and get better uh, at that? And not all companies do voice recognition, clearly, but there are, I think, a lot of biometric uh, data implications for this. So 
anytime your device is connected to the internet, you're incurring surveillance risks. And mm -hmm. there's one researcher in Germany actually found a couple years ago, back in 2019, that while he was sleeping, these apps were actually downloading information over and over mm -hmm. and over again. So, you know, some even, uh, you, you've seen some Google's practices, Facebook practices came out in the open. Uh, these um, uh, apps, even if you're not logged in, they can find your location. Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful. Anytime your device is connected to the internet, you're at risk for surveillance. That's an interesting uh, thought the other day that I was that I was, was going through this as I was preparing. Um, I, I wondered, you know, as we hear about um, Section 230, it's the 26 words that <laughs> built the internet yep, back yep. in 1996, <laughs> which, I mean, it's probably a little outdated at this point. <laughs> that was a good year. Yeah, that was a good, good year, year in 1996, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> and it basically shields, you know, these companies from liability <laughs> for what a third party Mm -hmm. says on their platform. Yeah. Um, therefore, you know, a company like Facebook is allowed to moderate speech. You know, <laughs> at least that's what they say. You know, what should, and, and in the paper you call for reform of Section mm -hmm. 230. Yep. And so I had a two-part question. What should a reform to 230 look like? And why isn't that enough? Why do we need to, to, to call on additional things like antitrust, you know, enforcing antitrust laws for that? Why isn't 230 reform enough? Yeah, so heritage scholars, current and former, have written yeah. extensively on Section 230 reform. Yep. Um, there's a, a bunch of instances that we advocate for, like a sunset clause, right? So I always say that technology outpaces attempts to govern it. And this happened at Facebook, right? Our whole ethos was you build, you ship, you build, you ship, which means you build it, you get it out in the world. You, sometimes you need to iterate on it, of course, but you get it out in the world. They knew that that kind of development could outpace anything that the fuddy-duddies in D.C. tried to do to constrain it. Um, that's why they have product managers and people who assess risk and due diligence analysts to say, okay, here are some of the potential problems that could happen because they're doing it by themselves because they know DC is not going to catch up. So we want a sunset clause, at least in Section 230, that says, let lawmakers update the law in accordance with the pace of technology as it develops every, we say, seven years. It can okay. be shortened. Uh, I think that's great. So strike otherwise objectionable. This really gets at the heart of the issue because tech companies have taken this otherwise objectionable clause to interpret anything, misinformation, whatever they're saying it sure. is that day, where yeah. we know misinformation is a catch-all for information that doesn't conform to the prevailing leftist narrative. So they've taken that interpretation and they've used it as an excuse for wanton and inordinate and selective censorship, hmm. most often against conservatives. Hmm. And we didn't really get to all of the uh, instances. Uh, I kind of stopped with that one big <laughs> yes. blockbuster. Yeah, There's true. so yeah. many more. Jim yeah. Banks on Twitter well, saying you're gonna a man have is to, a man. You're going to have to read the report, which Philip's going to yes. link to in the chat. And you can yep. go on there. It is all documented, man. You went yeah. through line by line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Gold yeah. star moms being pulled down because yep. they question the Afghanistan withdrawal. And Sorry tastiness to and you. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Okay, so like, so yeah. getting back to the real story yeah, yeah, yeah. is Section 230. They've they've used it to to basically censor at will. So reforms are gonna, you know, some of the granularity I just talked about in terms of sunset clauses, striking specific clauses from the the text. Okay, important. But also, if tech companies do censor based off of political viewpoint, yeah. and it could be you know proven in some sort of recourse mechanism, then they should not have liability. Liability should be stripped if they 
they censor based off of political viewpoint alone. Now we have to clarify and clearly outline what's expected to be protected by Section 230. There's the porn issue, which is yeah. which is big. Yeah. Um, but all in all, this is why we advocate for focused Section 230 reform. Yeah. And don't say just remove it, right? Because Daphne Keller from Stanford is really good on this. And she says there's a general over-removal bias, especially in small companies, because in order to avoid potential litigation, they're just going to remove everything. Like mm. they're going to, okay, Joe Rogan, we know he's a controversial guy now, so we're going to remove everything that he puts on the platform or that people tweet, or et cetera, et cetera. We don't want that. Hence, focus Section 230 reform. Okay. okay, why is this not a silver bullet? The second part of your question. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're getting to I it. We're making it. our way. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is awesome, man. It's yeah. like a fire hose. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. picking it up. Come on, and let's go. There's yeah, so yeah. much. There's why so isn't much it here. Enough? Why isn't it enough? Yep, yeah. okay. Yeah. So yeah. not a silver bullet that it might do well to address the, the censorship problem that we're having. Yes. But, and my, my friend Rachel Bovard, she's a luminary in this space. She does great on this uh, in particular. She says that um, all of the censorship is downstream from Mark market dominance. Okay. So there's a couple ways of thinking about the big tech problem, and it doesn't just exist in the conservative censorship aspect, but the way that they're able to do all of this conservative censorship with very little recourse for the user is because of their market dominance. Um, mm -hmm. And that's you know what she says, I agree with it, I saw it. And the way that they're consolidating all of this power is largely through anti-competitive practices. Mm -hmm. um, there's many, and people are, are much better than this on, uh, than I am, but they get into the details of hmm. what Amazon does to its vendors, taking 30% um, in a practice. There's a practice called Sherlocking that, again, Joel Thayer talks about, where they are, they're actively um, or forcing some of these people that they work with to, to give them lower, less-than-market-value prices. Hmm. Um, so there's a bevy of anti-competitive practices. Google, uh, Mike Wacker, former Google engineer, talks about this. They have an anti-competitive tie between search, their app, and their operating system, too. Hmm. Uh, uh, there's a combination, their ad tech practices of the, the buy side with the sell side. Right. So, you know, they're they're basically engaging in these anti-competitive practices. Again, David Sachs, well-known practice, uh, the All In Podcast guys talk about how tech companies will buy or and poach talent. They'll buy companies, poach talent just to make sure that they don't go to another company and disrupt that company. They'll buy companies just to kill it. Uh, VCs have something called the kill zone where they won't necessarily fund a new entrant because they know that these other uh, competitors have such a, a hold on the market that mm. they're not going to get new entrants in the space. So they're actively warping this free market uh, to, to their own benefit. And mm. that's why antitrust laws need to be, there needs to be investigations and enforcement of such things. Sure. And the way that they're able to do all their censorship, uh, especially against one side of the population in America, mm. is because that they're able to consolidate all this power. Interesting. Yep, Google, 90% uh, search monopoly. Sure. Um, Amazon and Google together um, uh, with, uh, it, it's, it's, I don't know if it's even in the paper actually, but. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. but in terms of uh, the percentages that they control in the market, yeah. you know, just market share isn't bad, yeah. but it matters how you get there. Sure. And when you get there using some of these practices, I think there needs to be more scrutiny over what's actually occurring. As you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, about the leaders of these companies, mm -hmm. and and you you talk about this in the in, in the report, um, you know they have more money, <laughs> they have more influence, they have more power than most ever will, most all of us ever will. Yeah. It's incredible, actually. You know, um, you advocate a means for holding them accountable mm. 
how do we do that? Yeah. How do we hold CEOs, C-suite people accountable Yeah. these so companies? This was one of, I think, the most interesting ideas that got the most purchase when you talk one-on-one -on -one with Congress members. Um, you'll probably remember the Martin Shkreli case where he basically uh, took the price of insulin and jacked it up, and mm. now he's gotten fined. He's banned from Big Pharma. Um, so I think it's important in times, especially when it comes to civil liability, to look at what the deleterious effects of these products on consumers actually look like um, and hold specific tech executives accountable when they engage in actual um, uh, fraud or breach of contract. Mm. So this is um, a, an interesting angle, too, and, and, you know, policy ideas that we can sort of work more on building the text around this. But mm. when companies were, you know, originally created, the way that they've got their, you know, their, their market, their network effects, the way that they have accrued technical advantages in getting up users, getting up all their data, allowing it to refine their algorithms and enhance their products, you know, strengthen that hold on the market through sheer uh, technical advantages alone. Um, I think it's important to remember that, number one, the Section 230, this is a government intervention initially, it helped them. But it's also, uh, it's something that they promised the public when they gathered up all of this and we went to the platform, went to the platform, went to the platform, that this would, they would be democratizers of information. They would be spaces for everyone to uh, be able to air their perspectives and whatnot. And they've reneged on those promises. Hmm. So I think that exploring some sort of um, uh, breach of, of contract uh, would be interesting. Um, so, interesting. yeah, and we, okay. we advocate for other permutations of that. That as well um, in in the paper, but but yeah, when it comes to something like what happened with GoFundMe, right? Wow. So GoFundMe right. Yeah. Um, and the yeah, Canadian sure. truckers. Yeah, so yeah, permit me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so this is an it's a huge issue up there in Canada, right massive, now, isn't it? Yeah. Massive. And I say it, Canada. Like, Canada. Like Canada. Get out! It, I, get I, out! I yeah, a boat. <laughs> love our Canadian friends. I'm, I'm sorry. From I'm sorry. Detroit. Oh, so, so you know, we just drive Canadian. across the border. Yeah. For, you know, That's back weird. in the currency, we would get our kitchen supplies from over in Canada. That anyway. sounds horrible, actually. <laughs> truckers in Canada. All right, truckers so truckers in Canada. In Canada. Go ahead. Yeah, GoFundMe, yeah. American company pressured by law enforcement in Canada, pressured by the th the Trudeau government, uh, and to to basically. So there's an occupation. Oh, oh my gosh, listen to me. They've got me with the narrative language. What am I saying? All right, so there are truckers. It's big text that, listening. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, truly. Like, yeah, and this is for sure. oh, this is okay. So this is another thing, right? Like, it gets in your brain, and like <laughs> the way that they're able to control a narrative like that and push out information and block access to it really does influence and shape individual behavior. We can get into that and its effect on the youth, which I think is huge. We need to talk about too. But to begin with, all right. So convoy of freedom truckers um, driving from what is it, the west coast to the east coast of Canada? I don't know. It's so big. I don't even know the geography of Canada. Yeah. So they here I go again. They go to Ottawa and they are asking, they get donations from a lot of Americans too and people who want to support their mission to basically say these COVID restrictions in Canada are draconian and let's stop this right now. Um, the other is like a protestation of the vaccine requirement for um, truck drivers as well. Yeah. Okay, so this is happening. This is clearly anti-lefty uh, Trudeau uh, sort of impulses. Yeah. And 
the there there's a fundraiser gofundme they raised 10 million canadian dollars gofundme disperses 1 million canadian dollars already their remaining 9 million dollars they suddenly said given the pressure by the trudeau government mm-hmm. and law enforcement officials in ottawa they said okay we're going to take the remaining 9 million canadian dollars and we're going to disperse it to um verified charities of, of our choice mm-hmm. you know and what do you think gofundme this is the organization that supported the rioters when the Kyle Rittenhouse issue was happening in Kenosha, uh, and they basically said no one can pay for Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense fund, yet we're going to support the rioters, the arsonists, those who are burning the city to the ground. Okay, so you get the, the impulses of the company when it comes to where they stand ideologically. So the issue is when, again, when the government <laughs> works with specific companies yeah. to take this money uh, and potentially give it to, to charities that are going to be in line with GoFundMe's ideology, now because of the pressure, they're saying, update, okay, we're just going to refund. There's a couple variations that they went through. Now they're going to give all the money back. Yep. So big problem. Yeah. Uh, and this is what and tech companies can control this and, effectively. And, and as people continue to learn more about how this is happening, mm-hmm. as, as you continue to expose it, you know, we had uh, Glenn on Facebook's confuser, people being forced to use these sources, people can just unplug it and not <laughs> use it. And that's a good thing. And it leads me into this, the, this, the, the last question that I had here for you, which is, you know, we've seen sharp drops mm. in Facebook users. We're seeing sharp drops from people on Twitter right now. Yeah. And now we're seeing a lot of people go to Rumble. Yeah. That's why we're on Rumble. Yeah. That's why this we're is, doing this. Yep. And, 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 and we're seeing the market respond in kind to this, in kind to this. And, and, and you know, I, I wanted to give you a chance to, to build on that just a yeah. little bit more as you kind of bring us in for a landing here bringing us to a place of, you know, as Glenn says, you know, can people just unplug? Is that, yeah. is that the yeah. solution kind of a thing? Or, or what, what you know, bring us in here? Yeah. yeah. So this is a common reflex, right? Yep. Um, besides the, yes, they're private companies, even though they're working with the government to have effects, the common reflex is build your own, right? It's, yeah. oh, yeah. if you don't want to use Twitter, then just log off Twitter and get on Parler. Oh, wait, we tried that. So remember the parlor saga? So uh, for the viewers, this is what happened in early January of 2021. Um, Apple, their app store, Google, Google Play, and they they took Parler off of their uh, their stores. Yeah. So you could still get Parler on your desktop. Uh, you could still sort of go to the link and be fine. Okay, it's fine. Not great usability. Can't carry around on your device necessarily. But right. okay, fine. So number one, these app stores are huge gatekeepers of you know any new app that's being developed and stuff like that. So big problem, but not the end of the world. The end of the world came when the cloud hosting services infrastructure that Parler used, Amazon Web Services, with Within approximately a 48-hour period of Apple and Google acting, said, oh, Parler, we're going to yank you off too. So Parler went lights out. They were sitting atop the Apple store at the time that par- that AWS pulled them off. And then now they're they're back online, not as originally conceived as a, right. a different platform. Took the momentum. Away. Yeah, well, they've yet to <laughs> even totally, gain. Yeah. In, in October of last year, they had yet to gain four yeah. percent of the user growth that they had gotten in those early days in January. Uh, yeah. They were huge. They were set to be a great new entrant, a great Twitter competitor. And I would also say, in a more so, build your own effectively. It doesn't work when these big tech companies, and mind you, big, Amazon, big five, Google, big five, Apple, big five, when they collude to not allow Americans access to new entrants, then, yeah, yeah, okay, we got to build our own, but what are we supposed to do in the meantime while we build? So 
That argument just it doesn't hold much water after January 2021. Sure. And and I'd say in a more nebulous way too. So yeah, you don't have to use Twitter. Twitter impacts the Biden administration and the very policies that they make. People use Twitter, especially on the left, as throw spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks. And then that percolates into the crazy ideas coming out of the current administration that we're living under today. Hmm. I mean, so Twitter does matter to the public discourse, even if you're not on it. Uh, you know, you could say, like, Twitter's ruined people's lives. You hmm. know, say it to the Central Park Karen, you know, she wasn't even on Twitter. And then she found her life was absolutely ruined. She's in hiding right now because mm. of Twitter. So Twitter has real life impacts, whether or not every single person is using it. And to build your own just doesn't really hold any water anymore. I wish it did. Uh, bring, bring us in. What, if, if, if you could leave us, I mean, this this report, folks, and we're going to we, we've linked to it. We'll, we'll link to it again. Make sure that you log on to read it. It's an it's an incredible, incredible step toward holding big tech accountable, more accountable, providing rock solid ways that we can do that. So please log on, read it, see the heritage perspective as we continue to lead the conservative movement. Kara, uh, bring us, bring us uh, sort of an all-encompassing thought as we leave the folks here. Where should our first inclining be? What should our first action step be here with all of this happening? Yeah, that's a good question. Action step, read the report. Um, yep. And then second, I'd say, you know, big tech companies, especially over the past one and a half to two years, they've really proven themselves irresponsible stewards of government enhanced power. And it's time to redress that imbalance between the user, the American people, mm. and these companies and their abuse of the consolidation of power. Mm. So I say think yeah. about it through that lens. Think about your individual liberties being infringed upon by private companies at the behest of the government. And when I have that perspective whenever you're using these platforms. Oh, man, Kara. <laughs> this is, a, I mean, uh, we brought it today. Yeah. We brought it, man, and, and you, you handled it so well. And I, I really, really appreciate you coming in and doing this. And I know you've got what, probably like 75 more interviews before, uh, no, we're before right. 5 p.m. here. So, man, that's great. And this, this time is so valuable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and folks, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for engaging with us in this platform. All of our new friends on Rumble, man. Welcome. And welcome. That's great. We're so glad to be here. We hope you join us again because we're here almost every week. We do one yeah. of these. So folks, um, we'll look forward to seeing you on the next one. Any other questions you have, feel free to leave them in the chat or uh, get a hold of us through other social media. Thank you so much once again. We'll see you later. And thanks so much for listening to another episode of Heritage Explains Live. Now, we've linked to Kara's work in the show notes. She listed all the different ways and instances of big tech censorship, as well as our recommendations for pushing back. So go check it out. Arm yourself. Be in the know. We'll catch you on the next episode of Heritage Explains Live. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.